Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chandler. Welcome back, Food and Faith Podcast listeners. Uh, this is Derek Weston, and I am here with Sam. Wake Hi, up, Sam. Derek. I'm, w- I am, I'm awake. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How is you this doing, the Sam? earliest we've ever recorded a pod? It might be. <laughs> Maybe, which is Maybe. sad because it's it's 9 a.m. Like, it's not <laughs> early. It's not early. Um, it's, it's terrible. Um, and then Anna's also here. Hi, Anna. Hey, Derek. Anna's clearly more awake than I am. Um, well, we went, one, <laughs> so we are all three on again um, because we wanted to, um, we are noticing, hopefully you're also noticing wherever you are, that spring is is creeping in. We had a day yesterday here outside of Baltimore where we were in the 50s and it Whoa. was like, it was like everyone rejoiced. The sun is out and, and it is a balmy 50 degrees. Um, but with the spring approaching also means that we get to start, um, not just dreaming about our gardens, but actually playing in our gardens and, and getting things started. So, um, we wanted to just have a, a, a conversation, the three of us about, about gardening, about where we're gardening, about places where, um, we have found joy gardening, about little pieces of advice that we can give on gardening, um, we are not experts. We are um, experienced, but we are not experts. Um, don't let that master gardener title fool you. It's really just about knowing where to look things up. Um, <laughs> so as we um, as we're anticipating spring, and I I know for personally. Um, greatly anticipating spring, we wanted to jump in and talk a little bit about where we're gardening um, and and how uh, gardening is sort of a major force in all of our lives. Um, So let's start with um, where are each of us gardening uh, this year or planning on gardening this year? Anna, where are you going to be gardening this year? So I am going to be gardening mostly in... um little grow bags so container gardening around my apartment I live in a three-story old three-story house we live on the bottom floor and I made good friends with our neighbors so that they supported the idea of us taking over the yard <laughs> turning it into a little little collective um garden Always and farm helpful. yes um but we can we don't we don't we can't dig up grass so I have um I don't know I should probably go out and count but 50 or so of these canvas grow bags um, and then a couple of raised beds on the patio um, and I am uh, excited to try how many more things can you grow in containers Nice. <laughs> and I might have ordered some more grow bags excellent possible because there's like a few stretches around like the perimeter of the house that don't have them yet and I feel like And there's a little bit more room on the sidewalk. I just feel like there's like, you know, you gotta, gotta use all the space. So all those spaces. Absolutely. That's right. Sam, where are you growing this year? Yeah. Like Anna, my hope springs eternal every year. My first question every year is how do we grow the garden, which I've discovered isn't the wisest question, but that's always where I want to start. And so, (laughs) um, so yeah, so 
I'll be gardening in two spots. I have a little garden out back for me and my family. Jenny loves to can, and so we do a lot of stuff in the back that she gets to she gets to can up, and uh, and that's always a fun process. Something we get to share as a family and with our friends. But on a much larger scale, um, I am the I am the garden manager for um, for a community garden here in Westminster, Maryland. It's sixteen beds that are about fifteen by twenty five, um, and then the Keep Until um, the Faith Community that I founded. Um, Gardens a good bit of that, so we garden within the context of of the community garden, um, and so it's been really interesting last year how much people wanted to come out to the garden. We had our best volunteer year ever, just because it was the one place you could go and feel kind of safe, yeah. um, even when you're e- even with masks on. Um, and so we've had a really good, um, you know, a lot of interest around coming and adopting plots this year. And so we're looking forward to expanding the garden, trying to do a couple of things, making sure we get everybody fit in, developing the infrastructure a little bit. Um, but one of the cool things that I've that I've really learned is, you know, is about just sort of the beauty of community gardening. Um, I, I, I know there are communities of gardeners where we all kind of talk to one another about our own personal gardening experiences, but there is something really beautiful about gardening together. Um, yeah. And so that's something that I'm always kind of exploring and learning about. And it's always a growth edge for me because I know how to put plants in the ground. Like when it comes to the actual biology of a garden that I can do, figuring out how to connect people and grow people in that context is always yeah. the bigger challenge. And every year there's something new, um, new that I learned. So that's what I'm excited about doing this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And we'll, we'll, I want to come back to that a little bit more. Um, so I am gardening in, um, I I'm also gardening in two spaces. Um, I have my, my backyard garden, um, my front yard garden, um, and the side, the side of the house. I am, as uh, listeners uh, may know, I am at war with my lawn, and um, I'm winning. Like let's just let's just put it that way. I'm winning. I'm winning the war against my lawn. Um, so my my front yard garden will continue to expand, uh, despite the unwritten suburban social contract. I was gonna say, um, aren't you also at war with your neighbors? About <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Is it because is it between you and your lawn, or is it about is your lawn the neutral party and it's the people it's, involved? It's it's a war of passive aggression, um, but I'm but I'm winning that one too. So um, and I'm on the right side. So like it's not let's it's, not it's let's, obviously let's not let's not forget that I'm on the right side here. Um, so. Um, yeah, so there's there's that piece of of constantly trying to figure out more and more of, of what can be planted in my yard, um, and then I also I'm managing a community garden in Baltimore. Um, this will be my second year managing that space. Um, we just measured it out. We have twenty six four by twenty five uh, beds, and then a hoop house, and then a couple of raised beds. Um, and, and similarly, um, last year, the first year that I, I did this was kind of a space where, um, yeah, people just needed to get outside. And, and I'm already getting emails from people who were volunteers last year who were like, we're ready to get back outside. And I'm like, it's too early, um, but I'll, I'll find stuff for them to do. Um, so it's, it's, been, it's been really great. You know, I've, I last year really struggled with kind of having like my loyalties divided between my home garden that I've been doing every year. And then this kind of shiny new community garden, which was, uh, which was 
taking a lot of my time, but I'm hoping this year to have a better sense of balance between the two. Um, I wanted to uh, go back, uh, Anna, and talk about your your grow bags because um, one of the things, like not everyone has the luxury of big spaces to garden in. And I think um, I, I think it's it's a question that I get quite a bit from from friends who are um, either renting or 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 just in smaller urban spaces where there's a little bit more um, more confinement and not not the open land uh, spaces. Um, talk about your experience with using grow bags and raised beds. Um, I I know I used grow bags last year with kind of mixed results. Um, but I, I'm, I'm interested how, how, what's your experience been like and, and, um, and trying to, to be kind of innovative and in finding spaces to, to do some gardening. Well, it's been fun. I mean, it, so last year is the first year that I, I used these grow bags and, and was growing here in this climate environment. So, you know, I think there's probably a lot of factors and that I'm over the, you know, this next season, I'll kind of. I hope to figure out a little bit more about like why did that work or didn't that work and did it have to do with the grow bag or the soil or was it on the wrong side of the house or um one thing i gotta say that's great about grow bags is if something needs more sun you literally just like pick it up and, and can it. move it to a different side of the house right right like it's kind of like oh well that's nice um same with like crop rotation i'm realizing this year i'm like oh but i actually kind of really want the tomatoes there because that's the best sun spot but i want to rotate the the um soil and i was like oh well i'll just switch out which grow bags go there um so there's some flexibility there that um um has been really nice but um so i had great success with um tomatoes and um cucumbers and eggplant and herbs and even potatoes potatoes and grow bags brilliant you don't lose any really right huh. because they all just are the in there like you you know how if you grow potatoes in the ground like yeah. you have to dig deep and they kind of disappear but um and they actually have these grow bags that have little velcro um like doors at the bottom so you can harvest like reach in and harvest potatoes before the end of the season um so that was that was fun. And I just used organic potatoes that had sprouted in my kitchen. And yeah. I was that's like, all, that's all I ever use. I've yeah, never bought, I've never no, bought seed potatoes ever. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, if it doesn't work, like I all it, I mean, I wasted a bag of soil, I guess, but all four bags grew and harvested a bunch of potatoes. And, um, so they definitely, so I think like the downsides is that, um, it definitely had to water a lot more like they mm. um they don't hold i mean there's you know they're exposed so they and uh, and they all had to be hand watered because like to put it in drip irrigation i mean maybe it would be possible but that wasn't within my <laughs> my range um but that was kind of honestly it's it's it was kind of that nice meditation and you know, like i mentioned we share it with our neighbors so we'd switch off um on watering and um, we grew a lot of food. I mean, we had, we grew a lot of food and, and had a lot of conversations with other neighbors and people who would walk by and people would say like, Whoa, I didn't know you could do this. Like, um, so, um, I feel like it was a, 
and it's all I have. Right. So it wasn't like, I mean, if, if I had a big lawn that was mine to tear up, like it would all be covered in garden beds no doubt also Um, you'd also be at war with your neighbors (laughs) i would yes definitely i mean a hundred percent um but um you know you use what you've got and i um i was really it was really gratifying to realize how much we could grow um in in those spaces also there are different sizes of grow bags and i think that was important too um and just like some things you know, I could grow a nice parsley plant in a five gallon. Um, but I also got some like 20 gallon where I put some of the, the bigger things. Um, yeah, but also like, I mean, I tried zucchini and it was not happy. It was just like, no, this is like, I just had terrible, like mold issues. And I mean, there's some things that I feel like, um, just really do better in the ground and are happier that way. Um, so that's okay, you know, experiment. I just, by the way, ordered, there is a new um, corn that um, I'm trying to remember which catalog I got it from, but um, it is it is specifically for container gardening. So I'm going to try to go corn in the containers, which I feel nice. like is like over the top in terms of container gardening, but I'm really excited <laughs> about like it. you're pushing it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I know, I'm like this. This is ridiculous. We might get like one year, but it'll be worth it because it'll just be so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, I, I I will be I will be following up with you about that. I want to hear how that goes. Um, so I I had a I had a not similar experience with potatoes and grow bags, and yeah, tell I me. and I wonder if it was so. I didn't have the cool ones with the velcro at the bottom, so that you could you could harvest from the bottom, and they were a little thicker. Um, and we got a, I, I, this all preface. Um, we got a lot of rain last year, and I felt like the bags absorbed a lot of water. Um, mm. So when it came time to harvest my potatoes last year, I, I mean the plants were beautiful. Like they they were healthy leaves and beautiful flowers. The potatoes themselves had rotted in the bag, mm. so that made me super upset. Um, but but again, I'm 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 wondering if like they were just not the bags for potatoes. Like I don't like I did not have the issues of bags retaining water. Obviously, that you had like I did not need to water quite as much. So it might have just been about the quality or fabric of the of the bags. So I'm I will I'm I'm gonna go back to putting them in the ground this year and and maybe I'll rotate around to trying them in bags again in the future. But. Um, I'm going to use my bags for something else this year. Yeah. Um, so, but that's, it's cool to think about um, being able to garden with neighbors and build community in that way. Um, so Sam, you were talking a little bit about the experience of, of building community in the community garden. Um, what have been the, the, the successes with that? And what have been some of the challenge with that, that you've experienced in your community garden? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've come to find out um, just just being sk- having any level of skill at gardening um, serves you well when you're doing it by yourself. But there's a lot more that goes into gardening alongside and with others. Um, and it really is a community and it, there's an ecosystem that's part of it that needs to be managed. And that has been a real sort of growth edge for me is figuring out, you know, 
people with different levels, with different interests, with different availability. How do you actually make everybody feel like they're they're a part of this thing? And that has been the that has been the the challenge for me. And it's a it, it's a fun challenge um, because when it works, like my favorite thing in the world is watching people go, wait a second, that's a potato and that's not a potato, and learning which one to weed and then. Like there's this attachment that comes when you figure out what the plan is and you've watched it grow and just watching people become really attached to these plants. Um, I remember one story we had, I have always struggled growing eggplant. Like that has just never been my jam. It gets eaten, gets eaten like crazy. I might get one or two out of them, but it's just no good. But this one year we're like, all right, we've got some extra. We had, we had gotten donations from one of our local high schools. They had done a plant sale, had some stuff left over. Um, they had some eggplants. So we said, Hey, we'll just throw them in the ground. It's fine. Um, and we had this one guy and his grandson put them in. He doesn't know anything about gardening. And I swear to God, as sure as we're sitting here, they were the most beautiful eggplant I've ever seen in my life. Mm. He didn't know what he was doing. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, <laughs> but somehow these eggplant were the most gorgeous thing in the world. And so, and he, the, the connection that he felt to this eggplant that he had, he and his grandson had done this together um, was just really, really cool. And it's those kind of experiences that keep me coming back to community gardening when there's so much administration that goes into it. That is not my jam and just not like, that's not what I signed up to do. I knew it would be a part, but, but that's, that's one of the challenges. Um, and so as we think about community gardening, like just realize like, first of all, creating an idea that, that those kind of experiences are out there. If you, if you cultivate it, um, that there's more going on than just food. And that's, what's really exciting. I mean, that's, that's what draws me to food and faith is like, we're changed by those experiences. And so I always remind our community gardeners that community really means a couple different things. First of all, it, it means that we are a community, like, and we need to think about ourselves as a community, even though everybody has their own plot, like things happen, you know, like, the first week of August is not good gardening time for me because I'm at county fair. Like I just can't be in the gardens. I have to be elsewhere. But knowing that I'm in a community that can help me, that knows what I'm working on, you know, and they're like, hey, you know, we can go help Sam out with his tomatoes. Like we'll just, we'll make sure they're watered. We'll make sure they're, you know, just those simple little acts of kindness when we're working together builds relationships between one another. And I think that's really important. Um, and then the point of the community garden is not just to sort of be an insider kind of, master gardener kind of club where look how special we are it really is about building the community that is outside of us and so inviting people to be a part of this even if they're not plot adopters mm -hmm. um and so it, there is an evangelism that goes into it if i can use that word of faith mm -hmm. like we do want to invite people to come into the space and whether they work or not just to just to be surrounded by growing and living things i think is 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 good for the soul yeah. um and then, and then I also think community gardens have an, have an opportunity and it, at times an obligation to do advocacy, to ask questions around, um, you know, food justice, to ask questions mm -hmm. around how we practice agriculture, why we practice agriculture the way we do, um, to be sort of a prophetic witness. And I know the word prof prophetic gets thrown around a lot and not always accurately, but saying, you know what, there may be a more wholesome way for us to garden and to start practicing it in, in small scale ways so that people can experience it and then start asking the questions, you know, and that's, that's usually how it works. We rarely start asking the big philosophical questions. It's usually we have some sort of an experience that invites us to think more, more deeply about our lives. And so cultivating community on a couple different levels is what really kind of inspires me. And it's all driven by, you know, something that's fun and something that's rewarding and involves some hard work, um, which is the actual act of gardening. So, 
cultivating that ecosystem is something to be aware of as you step out into it. Um, and to, and to look for the opportunities to build relationships across all kinds of living things. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think that's where the reward truly lies in a community garden. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's, who's thinking about starting a community garden or, um, just kind of in the planning phase, thinking about that sort of thing. What what are those admin pieces that people should think through um, when when getting something like this off the ground? You know, I wish there was a podcast that would have told me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said you there. You really need to pay attention to volunteers, like, and you really, you know, like volunteer management is as important, if not more important than plant management. Um, and so making sure that you have a steady flow of volunteers, making sure that people that when you have volunteers together, that the people who are in there's somebody there with some knowledge who can provide direction. Um, and if there can't be, you know, communicating really clearly and regularly, um, because you can't go two weeks outside of a garden, you know, and then be like, Hey, we're just going to kind of get together and fix things. It really is about making sure there's a steady stream of volunteers who, who know what they're doing. Um, and then the other thing is to make sure, cause one of the things that we, we got so excited as keep until we got so excited about producing food and then we're like, Oh, there's a lot of food. What now? You mm -hmm. know? And so making sure that you cultivate relationships with people, um, who can do with that produce, who, who, who can create the ends that you've designed for that. So for us, we cultivated relationships with um, the church soup kitchens, and we really got to know the people that work them and who, as I always say, who turn our produce into food. Because when I harvest it, it's not food yet. It's not food till somebody eats it. Um, and so we, we, we really cultivated those relationships, and we really involved them as part of the discussion. Because if I produce a zillion tons of zucchini and that's not what's being eaten, then it doesn't really do anybody any good. It's this self-serving, like it's, it's, it's that charity that's about making me feel good rather than actually addressing the needs that are in the community. And so, so before you start, before we, before you build your big plans for all these wonderful things that are going to grow, make sure you understand, you walk it all the way out to the end to where it's actually going in somebody's belly. Um, whether that's the people that you're gardening with and, they're just taking it home. Like, so encourage them to grow what they want to eat. If it's going into an outlet um, to address food insecurity, then have a deeper conversation about what would be most helpful for you. Um, and which is really slimmed down what we grow. Like we don't really need to have, it's fun to grow lots of different things, but three eggplants to a, to a, um, to a soup kitchen that serves 30 doesn't really do any good either. And so we would rather grow a ton of potatoes that are easily used that everybody knows what to do with. And they go to feed those 30 rather than look at all these colorful things we produce that don't actually address the needs. So thinking about your ends and, volu and volunteer management are the two things that let's put it this way. I learn those lessons new every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to second that. Like one of the things that when people come to me and ask, like, you know, we want to start growing food on our church lawn or we want to do, you know, something. The first question I ask is not like, tell me about your soil, but it is, what is the need in your community? And I think that there's like, um, I just think it's so, I just want to like say yes to all the things you just said, Sam. And I think there's like a, there's like, um, like there's a cultural awareness too of, you know, I, I just, I've heard too many stories about like well-meaning, usually white people, 
people who are like, we're going to grow food for our community. And then they grow something that is like not even a food that is being used in the neighborhood. And so to actually, um, I, I have a, um, a friend who started a community or a, a garden on their church um, property um, about a couple, you know, 20 minutes from here. And they live in, um, there's a high, um, I think Puerto Rican um, community and a few other communities. And they just took the time to like walk around and be like, what vegetables do you like want and use? And so they ended up planting like cilantro and um, tomatoes and they planted the things to actually to make this particular dish that people in the neighborhood were excited about and were, and were not, um, you know, had a harder time accessing that produce. And the thing that happened that of course is like the beautiful thing is that relationships were built in a different way because of that. So that, you know, before even thinking like, what do we want to plant that it's about asking like, what are people hungry for and what are the people in the community? Um, or if it's working with a particular um, soup kitchen or a particular organization that the, those questions have. So I just like uh, really affirm and add to that. And the other thing I was thinking about is that I often get the question, like, I think we get confused about what's a community garden and what's a maybe more like what I might call a communal garden. So the difference between a space where individuals have their own plots and they're gardening next to each other, or a space where a bunch of different people are gardening the garden altogether. And I just think that that I think that there's like great things about both of those, but they're like different things. And just for our listeners to think about, are you trying to build a community gar garden? Are you, are you trying to build a garden where everyone has their own spot? Or are you trying to build a garden where everyone is gardening together in the the same space? Um, and that there are, there are different considerations for that. Yeah, those are, those are important questions. Both of you have, have done gardening as part of building faith communities. Um, what what wrinkle is added to that when when you when you throw in uh, worship or or building in building in a, a the 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 like liturgical life of a community? Like what's what what's different about doing it in in that context? Well, I think for me, one of the things that I ran into a lot at the Garden Church is that, um, you know, my my like attitude and, and my philosophy really was like, it's all church, whether you're there, you know, weeding or whether you're sharing in the liturgy or whether you're there for the meal, like it's all church. Um, but that's like kind of a stretch for people. And so I think one of the wrinkles was that there were people who really didn't want anything to do with tradition, you know, any kind of like organized worship or liturgy, but were so excited to, to be working in the garden. And that was fine with me, but it was like this continual just saying like, no, that's fine. Like, okay, we're, you know, like many of us are going to gather together and have worship now. And you are so welcome to continue to like, tie up the tomato plant it's like that's so fine like there's no judgment there um and and that's great so i think that like just kind of this culture shift of um or or, or the conversely people saying like i love this church i want to come worship here i really don't enjoy putting my hands in the dirt 
and to be like, that's great. That's so fine. Um, so I think shifting the idea around that you could participate however you wanted to, however you felt like led and that there was some permeability and some fluidity between the liturgy, the gardening, the eating, and that it was really okay to show up to that however you wanted to show up to it. Um, and what I noticed over time is that however anyone entered in, they usually got more involved in the other aspects over time, but everyone kind of had their own, their own entry point and that that was, and to create, I guess the wrinkle was like to create a culture where people coming in could feel like, oh, that's okay. Like I am welcome here in whatever part I want to engage in. Sam, how about for you? Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm enjoying Anna's reflection because it, she illustrates, I mean, just the tremendous diversity um, and opportunity that lies in front uh, when, when, you, when you start putting these two things together. And, you know, and it, it kind of comes back to where we started with the, with the garden pieces is discerning your community. And so when we started Keep Until, um, it was a community of churched people. Um, and people who had shared church together. And so there was already expectation, like there was already, you know, some experience and some expectation and some rhythms to our life that were already present. And it didn't mean that we weren't, a, we weren't open to reimagining them, but like, that's like, you start with what you got and that's, that's, that's where we started. So for us though, the, the garden piece really drove us back into the liturgical piece because what we would do is, you know, we would do our garden stuff and then we would dive back into the scriptures and we would dive back into our liturgies and, and pay, and, and so the garden opened up the Bible in new ways, like understanding that the Bible was written by a predominantly agrarian people who had a unique relationship with land and re and because we were developing a unique relationship with a piece of land, those passages started to open up for us. And then what happened after that is suddenly all these questions of justice also started opening up. And so we took our, our churchiness and used that in order to awaken us to a new kind, a, a new way of thinking about our faith practices. And that's, that's what the garden really did for us. And so, and we tried to craft our liturgy around that, you know, we crafted an order of prayer. Um, we call it agrarian daily prayer, but we really tried to dive into the passages of scripture that are that seem very explicitly ecological or land-based or food-based not because they're more good news than anybody else but because we've often skipped over them believing them to be the purview of a particular people and not applicable for us and going back over those things we're like oh shoot actually these are speaking to our community in a really relevant way um so that's how we did so we used our churchiness as a way to imagine a new churchiness um but as Anna's already said, I think there's a way of you, like if you have a group of people who are basically non-churched, there's a really interesting way of using that as well. And I wouldn't want to speak to that because that would be a new experience for me. But one of the things we've always said is these things kind of flow back and forth between one another. And it feels like a more authentic faith life. Our garden drives us back to our faith and our faith drives us to the garden. And it's this content, constant cycling. Um, and in both of those experiences, side by side, kind of in an action reflection or reflection action model, um, we start to discover new ways of, of doing faith community together. One of the things that uh, we got to do last year was host a 
congregation's worship service on our community garden. And it's one of the things that I would love to do more of is be able to, um, since we're not connected um, specifically with any one faith community, like the opportunity to open up that space for uh, a worship experience in that space for faith communities is something that I'm really hoping, really hoping to extend. Because um, I think there is, there are really unique things that happen. One, when we, even if we just worship outdoors, if we worship closer to creation, but two, if we, if we do reconnect ourselves with that, um, you know, uh, that, that the, the scripture is coming primarily from, if not an agrarian standpoint, but from, from the standpoint of people who are far more connected to land and natural rhythms than we are in the 21st century United States. Um, so there are opportunities to think about that in terms of, of whether it's sowing, whether it's harvesting, whether it's um, just having your hand in the soil, that those can be really profound um, moments of spiritual formation. Um, can, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, go for it. Maybe, maybe it works, maybe not. but. Um, that experience of inviting a congregation into a space that is non-sectarian, um, you know, we've wrestled with that also in being like, because we don't want people, we, we don't want people who are not connected to a faith community to think that this is a bait and switch, you know, like we're trying to bring faith in here. So I, 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 I wonder how your other, you know, your other volunteers, you know, received that, you know, the presence of a faith community, were they basically chill about it or was there some question about why is church showing up on tv hill i know we're i know we're yeah. <laughs> um, you know I'm, I'm just wondering about that experience because we want to like like we want to do faith and we you know and the garden's a really interesting place to do faith but there, there there are other there are other things at play and so just wondering how that played for you yeah that's a good question most of my volunteers come from other faith communities so they weren't from they weren't like foreign to the idea of faith they weren't hostile to the idea of faith i think where the shift was for them was oh this is a space where we could worship like that's weird like this is this is supposed to be the mission service part of being church this isn't the worship liturgy part of being church and so expanding that definition you know uh, and as you you often say like all of us church um that that being able to say like no church can really be more than sitting in pews or sitting at your your computer screen on a zoom call um as it has been in the last year um that the church can be be these hands-on tactile um experiences that that are different from the ways that we normally do liturgy and actually i think that was more the jarring piece for them than um than like having having a church one church there and i think it, for them it expanded their thoughts of it and so I, I actually think that i'm going to have people who were volunteers saying you know what we want to at least have our youth group here or we want to have our you know i last weekend uh, had a confirmation class that we zoomed in with and they started some seeds for us and so um yeah i think it's, it's really just kind of about expanding and broadening the idea of what is church i just i love that and i think that you know so 
I feel like people who are in traditional church building kind of churches, um, I just think it's, it's not either you are an ag based church or you're a building based church, right? It's like, it's, it's both. And, and that, you know, I just imagine what if all the faith communities that are involved in your garden had one worship service in the spring and one in the fall at the community garden, like that changes things. Even if it's not, it's not every week, it's not, you know, mostly we have our pews, but that, that just, um, shifts things. I have a colleague, um, here in Northampton who has a dinner church and they gardened a plot at our local community garden. So all together and the food would go to church. And then at the end of, in like September, October, they'd have a big harvest celebration and have it out at the community garden. And there's just, you know, again, once a year, it wasn't like, it wasn't every week, but there was just that connection point. And I, I don't know. I just, I love the idea that it's not this all or nothing situation. It's actually just this expanding of the ways that we interact and the cross sections of the earth and our liturgy and our food and our faith that, that we, we keep kind of weaving those more, more purposefully together. Um, and that's really beautiful. And I think, you know, the pandemic gives us opportunity, especially as we're coming back into, in, in the climates that the three of us are in, um, a time where one might want to be outdoors. Um, I hope we don't like miss the opportunity this spring and summer and fall to say, let's, let's take our, take our liturgy outside. Let's, look at these other spaces. Let's, um, you know, be curious about, about how our church could, could show up as we can, you know, start tiptoeing back into the, the in-person world. And that it's not all, it's not just about getting back into our buildings. Yeah, that's right. It'll be, it'll have been a waste if we, if we squander that opportunity to really think about the ways that we can be church in other spaces. Um, so just kind of going back to gardening in general, what are, when you, if you are talking to someone, I think just because we, uh, things we do and maybe, you know, because of this podcast, all of us are kind of in that space where people are asking us for gardening advice. Um, so, so what are the, what are the two or three things that you say to people when, when they start asking you about starting a garden? So two or three things that <laughs> that um, I say when people one of the things is know what growing zone you're in. Um, I think there are there are so many um, there's so many pitfalls that can be avoided just by knowing what growing zone you're in. So I'm in seven B, and that means that there are like there's a an estimated time when we're going to have our last frost. And there's an estimated time when we're going to have our first frost. And there are certain plants that are just going to do better in our, in our growing zone. Um, you know, it, we're, we're not going to do super well with incredibly tropical plants. Um, although, you know, climate change, maybe that's going to maybe, maybe, maybe we will soon. If there's a positive, <laughs> let it work for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I would like an orange tree. Um, but, <laughs> But, um, you know, so I think, I think that's one of the things that um, I would start with. Uh, two is know your soil, get your soil tested. 
Um, you know, one of the things that's a huge challenge in Baltimore, particularly in the city, is heavy metals in in the actual soil in the ground. And so you, uh, most of the gardens and, and, and community farms that you see around Baltimore are, are with raised beds and because you, it's just dangerous to plant directly into the soil. Um, so, so knowing your soil and, and getting a soil test, if you are near any university, they likely have an extension, a major like state university, they likely have an extension program where you can send samples of soil to get your soil tested and they will give you a readout that will help you um, think about amendments to add and and um, give you those warnings about whether or not there are heavy metals in your soil. Um, so that's that's incredibly important. Um, and then I you know grow what you want like I think just as just as much as when we are growing for others in a community garden, um, we need to be very sensitive to, what the folks that we're growing for eat. I think that's true for your own personal garden. Like I don't grow onions because I don't eat, I don't eat onions. I don't grow Brussels sprouts. As much as Brussels sprouts look really cool when they're growing, I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't like beets. I don't grow beets. So this is supposed to be like this is the end of my that's list a of shot thing, across the bow to us Pennsylvania things, Dutch things, that, <laughs> things that I don't eat. But like grow grow what you and your family will eat. Like if you're, particularly if you're growing for your family, like don't, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it would be a weird time for me to like suddenly spring turnips on my kids. Like that's, that's probably not going to go well. Um, so, so I think that those are three of the things that I would say are, are uh, just good pieces of advice that I've received and, and that I would, I would pass on to others. So how about how about either of you? What are what are some good pieces of gardening and advice that you would pass on? Yeah, so a couple, I say for always be thinking about kids. Like mm. the gardeners of tomorrow aren't gardeners yet, um, and so be aware. It just anytime that you're in a space where other people other than yourself will be, um, plant stuff for kids. You know, mm. so that means mm. a you know things that they can pick and eat right there in the garden. I mean, with some reasonable amount of safety, but that's why I, I can't stand cherry tomatoes, but there's been a cherry, at least one cherry tomato plant in every garden I've ever, I've ever had. Cause my kids just go in and pull them off like fruit snacks. Like it's a, it's a way to get them to go into the garden. Okay. Um, that that's not shots fired. Like I can Brussels sprouts beets <laughs> problematic, but like look, look. <laughs> cherry tomatoes, cherry tomatoes look, is where we're right, driving so the line. The okay. Everybody <laughs> wants to plant cherry tomatoes. Nobody wants to harvest them. I've had enough. Uh, right? okay. I'm just done. All with right. that. Fair enough. <laughs> so, um, you know, but another thing we've always put in some, uh, it's a plant called lamb's ear. It's not even mm. edible, but it's super soft. Um, and, you know, and just the kids can touch it, you know, and it's cool. Like plant some flowers, like do things that are on eye level and are engaging for kids. Um, because, and that's how you grow the love of gardening going forward. Um, number two is, and I want to illustrate what you said. I mean, just highlight that. I mean, have fun. Like we always put something new in, um, which reinforces the notion that failure in a garden should be expected. Um, yeah. A certain amount of attrition, like just happens. Like it's nature, like, like it's not all gonna be perfect. So try some things. So every year we try something that's just completely random and we may or may not know what to do with it, but it's always a fun experiment. And that keeps people coming back year after year. I mean, a garden that is just 
tomatoes, onions, and peppers, like is great, but gets dull. Like even I get bored by that sometimes. Mm. And so doing, doing new things is fun. And then the final thing that I would say to folks, particularly those who are trying to raise, you know, raise a community garden or a communal garden or just whatever is make the call. And what I mean by that is call people like there, there's a really good chance that you can do a really good garden for almost no money at all. <laughs> if you make the call, um, you know, we, we put out the word that we were looking for some old tools. It was spring, it was spring cleaning time. And so we said, Hey, if you've got garden tools that just are taking up space, can you throw them our way, put it out on Facebook, the lions club picked on it, picked up on it. They did a drive, went to Lowe's and had people buying stuff for us. Like, so we've never spent a dollar on garden tools and we've got mm. a whole shed full of them. So that when people come, there's enough for all. Yeah. Um, this year we might be getting a free greenhouse. Um, just garden nice. people. Yeah. Like, like not just like the plasticky ones, like the hard, big, like got to run electricity to it kind of things because somebody has got like 10 of them and doesn't know what to do with them. So make the call, like, don't be afraid to ask. And people, even people who aren't gardeners love the idea of gardening. So there is money out there. There is support out there. If you just make the call and make the ask. So don't let money be the issue. Um, just go ask and see what pops up. And I guarantee it's, there's more out there to support you than you think there is. That's so true, especially if you're connected to a faith community. Yeah, and faith, yeah, they're always looking to fun little projects like this, you know, and anybody, that's, any one of us that have done this, $100 here, $100 there goes a long way. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think I've bought a plant. Like, I mean, we, we do a lot of seeds, but I don't think I bought a plant because I know all the FFA leaders in all of our high schools. So yeah, they just dump their plants on us when they're done their plant sales and we've got more than enough. So nice. make the call. Yeah. Anna, how about you? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I'm just going to reiterate, we'll just have, you know, all three of us plant what you love to eat or what people around you love to eat. And um, I'll just throw out radishes that they're super easy to grow. I don't like them. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't mind them, but like, I don't need like piles of them. Um, it makes me think about like the CSA boxes, like, right. Like it's like, mm -hmm. like the joy of a CSA box is you get things that you don't know about and you learn about. And the curse is you get things that you just actually don't, don't like. So I would just like to reiterate the plant, what you love. Um, but also to pick up like on the plant, something that is, is exciting to you. So it's not, not just like, don't plant the things you don't like, but like try something new. So I am like a, because I have very little space, I am a primarily like, I must produce as much food as possible, but I love dahlias. Like I just love, mm -hmm. love dahlias. Like I've always loved them. It was like the flowers I chose for our wedding. I, and I just think they're just like this magical flower. And so, um, I am like growing my dahlia bulb collection and I am like eagerly awaiting when some, my dahlia order comes in. And um, my sister actually just sent me some bulbs from, she lives in, um, in Oregon and she just sent me some bulbs in the mail. Like it's just, just to like grow some things that are just pure joy. Um, it's the same way I feel about tomatoes. It's like, I, I, I'm going to have many different varieties of tomatoes and different colors and shapes and sizes. And so like grow things that, um, that delight you and that, um, there's that, that joy in that. Um, I guess the second thing I would say is 
so, so this is advice that I do not take myself, but um, it's like just to start small. And I guess what I mean is like, start what feels like attainable to you, because I think that there's often this kind of thought of like, I've never gardened before. I have to put in a whole garden mm-hmm. and instead to be like, you know, get three pots and start some tomatoes, some basil and some something else, you know, like just, yeah. just, I, so maybe, maybe the advice is to like, start start with what feels manageable to you and not to think that there's like, that you have to reach some threshold to like be a gardener that really it's just like grow something and like share it. (laughs) And that's like, that's, that's the thing. Um, So I think just to, you know, to the size where you are. um, And then, yeah, just to reiterate that, um, I mean, you can spend thousands of dollars on your garden, right? Like, and you can spend endless hours <laughs> on your garden. Um, but that that is like to you. And I guess maybe what I'll just kind of hone in on there is I've really gotten excited these last couple years about seed starting. So last year, this year, and like this year I invested in a, like a heat mat and some grow lamps. And so like, this is like, that's my growing edge. But in the past, I've always just bought my plants at the farmer's market or the, I mean, sometimes at Home Depot, I gotta admit, like, you know, right? Like sometimes, right? At, or or like somebody I know will have extras or, I mean, in our neighborhood, people literally will put out little like um, tables with seedlings on them of like extra things. So like I got some of my tomatoes last year that way. I put out things last year. Like, so um, that if, it, if it's fun to do seed starting for somebody, like I find it really fun, but other people find it really finicky and annoying and to be like, that's okay. Like you can just pick up a flat of things at your local nursery. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to be like hardcore to be a gardener. Like you can take it wherever, wherever you're at. Um, and they'll always be next year to try, you know, to try something else. But so just to, to start where you are and, um, and, um, you know, do what is like the next fun thing for you, but not to feel like you have to pass some, uh, some hardcore gardener test in order to be yeah. a gardener. So Derek, what's your fun thing? So what's my fun thing? Um, when I first started gardening, the, my whole philosophy on gardening was, okay, I'm growing stuff to eat stuff. And then I kind of migrated into like, okay, I will grow a couple of flowers because they're pollinators and bees are good and we should save the bees. That seems like get a good fired thing. up, fella. <laughs> well, and 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 in the in recent years, I have fallen in love with flowers, and and it's been such a it's such a weird thing to say, and like there and there's there's this weird gendered dynamic to being like a guy who loves flowers but I'm a guy who loves flowers and and I I love watching them bloom and I love that I can plant kind of in in a you know in in I mean my my the flowers are the thing that is making me win the war against my neighbors because like you know they you can only you can only complain so much when when you see this like row of poppies come up and they're beautiful and you see this this you know 
this line of zinnias in front of the house and they're they're gorgeous and we had i had last year was my first year growing dahlias and they were they were stunning they were like super tall and like they're actually called diva dahlias and they like lived up to their names <laughs> like they were just look at me i'm i'm a i'm a dahlia um so you know i've actually really enjoyed and i like i i love growing vegetables i love growing i love growing um edibles edible things but you know there there is a a magic to growing flowers and 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 watching watching the pollinators kind of come and hang out and spend time and you know i i i have gotten lost watching the bees and the butterflies coming through my garden um you know hours on end and and so that's that's kind of been what's been fun for me as of late and then my my wife also loves this because then she gets kind of regular bouquets um also so you know another reason for guys to love flowers um uh but it's it's um it's been one of those kind of unexpected joys of like you know there there really is um like and it's a thing that draws me closer to god in that god has to have some like when we talk about god as as creator i think we we leave out the idea of god as creative and like nature is 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 stunning in its variety and diversity and and complexity and richness and 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 just to have the array of colors and sizes and fragrances that come from these things that that we have a chance to um, co-create in some small way with that is it, it kind of is overwhelming. Um, so yeah, that's that was my longest answer to your question. But um, yeah, what's your fun thing to grow, Sam? My actual fun thing is straight rows. I, I, am, such a, <laughs> <laughs> I am committed to straight rows. Um, yeah, and I happen to think like vegetable gardens have a reputation for not being beautiful things, and I think mm. they're absolutely beautiful. So like I, I like Preach. to advocate that. But my 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 favorite thing that's just way out there is really hot peppers. Mm. That's my favorite thing. Like to the point where I grew some Carolina Reapers um, in my own personal garden and had to walk the kids out and warn them and be like, do not touch this plant. Do not touch this plant. It will physically harm you. If, <laughs> if you, if you handle this, we had joked about putting caution tape around, but the kids were like, dad wants us out of the garden. So they kind of use that as an excuse to not, not help me last year. But, um, but just the variety and the color of peppers, um, just inspires me. And, uh, and I think, and you know, we, we enjoy a lot of we're a, we're a spicy food family. And so we can use them in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, and so I, they are my way of kind of introducing that color and that variety, um, where I, I, I like flowers, but most of my flowers are, are pretty humble. I'm a marigold and zinnia kind of guy. Just they're, they're, they're doing work and I love them. And they're my, <laughs> they're, they're my people. Um, but pep peppers are where I like to put a little bit of flair into the garden and be a little exotic and have some fun. Nice. I'm all about the marigolds. They yeah. also grow so easily and they do. And like you said, they, they do good work. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just, they're <laughs> um, doing work day after day. 
and 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 they put a little autumn in the middle of summer like autumn's my jam and so mm. like there's there's yellows and and oranges just put a little bit of that autumn season into my into my summer plans they keep me going so <clears throat> i was thinking derek when you were saying about like god is creative like have you ever seen a romanesco cauliflower yes like god is so amazingly creative <laughs> right totally showing off and i'm just like things like that or like we had these stripy tomatoes this last year like and i was just like or when you cut them open it's just like it's like art i mean there's like these works of art that like show up in my vegetable garden and i just feel like um like i think that's part of it like too is thinking like as we harvest like as we tend as we harvest as we prepare as we eat food is to to have that attentiveness and awareness of the great beauty and miracles of the natural world and like how you know and and i think like it's different than the mountain vista it's like you if you look up close right like it's about like looking at closely and you know like an eggplant flower like an eggplant flower is stunning. Yeah. I mean, you have to get right up close to it, right? And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful little flower. Um, so I think like that, I feel like that's like part of the spiritual practice is is the attentiveness and the attentiveness, like the particularity and the detail and like look, looking closely yeah. at what's happening. No, I think it's, I'm sitting here at my kitchen table looking at, at the church that I serve through the window and just thinking about all the art that goes into that, you know, like I can see some stained glass windows. I think about my musicians, even my own preaching, you know, we are so often trying to mimic God's creativity by bringing things into worship. Like that's one of like beautiful things is one of the ways that we worship. And so often it never occurs to us that the natural order does this so much better than us that, you know, those kind of tomatoes that you're describing, Anna, are as gorgeous as anything my my organist plays, and she's a she's a fabulous organist. You know, they and it does the same work, like it does that same kind of creative work in a worshiping context. Um, you know, the bees. You know, bees are not built to fly, and somehow they do, and so the impossibility of God's creation to do remarkable things like, you know, just encountering them in a garden does the work of the sermon. Like, like we don't have to create that. And so putting people into spaces and inviting folks into spaces where God's creativity does its work and we didn't have to generate it, I think is a really powerful spiritual thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I was, I was taken aback by the, we, we grew sweet potatoes in our community garden. And when, when they started to bloom, and they look like morning glories. And like, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's amazing. Um, so let's end where we where we always end. What are your hopes for your gardens this year? We've done this, sorry, straight rows. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it. I want people to love each other a little bit more not just because of the thing we do, but they actually get to know one another. Um, you know, and there's a couple organizations that show up and do gardens together. And I want those organizations to care about one another's missions um, a little bit more and find ways um, that together we're serving the common good, whether that's a church or a, or, you know, a, a secular organization. Um, you know, that's really what I want. I want people to genuinely enjoy being in the space. I want them to feel like they're contributing to their community and that they care about each other a little bit more. Um, and it, it'll be the plants, not me, 
and not my organization. It'll be the plants that do that work. And that's, what's really fun. Yeah. Anna? Hmm. I hope that I can figure out a way to keep the squirrels from digging up my garden. Um, okay. Maybe I want to edit that out. Oh. <laughs> That's the episode title. <laughs> yes. No, actually. So we have a new neighbor in the middle floor and, um, he has a lovely, lovely dog and that has been a real gift actually. And, um, he moved in about halfway through the year and I, I squirrel problem went way down and I said, you know, feel free to take the dog out, you know, a couple times a day, like feel free to like kind of do that in like a system systematic way, like all the way around the house. That would be great. Um, so hopefully that will help. Um, my hopes, um, I hope to get more people involved in our little garden. So including our neighbors who have been super supportive um, and excited, but they don't consider themselves gardeners. And so I ended up doing most of the gardening and they like pitched in with, you know, helping to like fund it and, and harvest and eat. But um, I think that if I do a little more, um, I think there's a desire there on their part to do more. So I want to, I want to share the fun. I mean, on like, I think that I kind of was like a little bit selfish last year. I was just like, I want to do all of the fun things. Um, so I hope to share it more and maybe with um, some of our other neighbors as well. And um, I also hope to be more intentional about um, harvesting. I think that sometimes um we didn't harvest as consistently as we could. So I think I can do a better job about harvesting for like our own house, like the households in this building, but also to share and um, be more, more consistent about the, the harvesting and sharing of the food. Yeah. yeah. What good. about you, Derek? Yep. Um, so for, for my community garden, um, I, I think my hope is, is what I've said earlier of just being able to, um, provide that space more for folks to to worship in and and to um, find connection with God in that space. Uh, I think there's just great opportunity for that. Um, for my home garden, uh, the one thing I, I will say is that I've I've never really managed to get my kids as involved with my gardening as I would like and. There are, there are little pieces of it that I've been able to do. Like um, last year on the milkweed, there was, you know, a lot of caterpillars. So like my kids are into bugs. So like, that's a, that's a step. Um, this year um, I've, I've been talking with my youngest about um, she, she is adamant that she hates carrots. And I, I like sat there with a seed catalog with her and went through all the different varieties of carrots. And she was just, kind of amazed by the different colors that carrots can come in. And I said, my, my, my challenge this year is I'm going to grow a carrot that you enjoy. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I've done little things like that of trying to bring them, bring them in, but I would, I would love to just, I like, it doesn't have to be their passion the way it's my passion. Like I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to force, force something on them, but I would just like to get them more involved. I'd like to have them, see some of the 
see and experience some of the joy in the garden that I experience. Um, and uh, so we'll we'll see how that goes. We'll we'll I'll I'll let you know what level of success I have with that. <laughs> so um, we'd like to know what's going on with your gardens. We'd love to see pictures. Are you starting seeds? Are you getting a garden started? Um, let us know um, through through Twitter, through Instagram, through Facebook. Um, you can find Food and Faith podcast in all of those places. Um, and we'd just like to know what's going on with, with you, with your garden. Are you as excited for getting your garden started as we are? Um, imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you are. Um, but, but tell us about what's going on in your garden. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, and we hope to see you again next week for the Food and Faith Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, the Garden Church, and the Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.